Lord, as the sun peeks out from behind the clouds and warms our bodies, we just praise you for the Son of Righteousness, for Jesus, who is, it says in John chapter 1, lightens every man who's come into the world. Thank you for the light of your love that shines brightly to warm our hearts. We ask that our hearts would be open to this, that, that we wouldn't harden our hearts, that we wouldn't reject what you're longing to give to us this morning. Lord, we may, may we hear your voice clearly. May it lead us to see your love and to be transformed by it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. How many of you have a dog? What is it about a dog that you love? Whether you have a dog or not, what is it about a dog that, that, that makes you want to have a dog as your friend, that, that makes a dog man's best friend? What is it about a dog? Gunner. Loyal. A dog is loyal. It, it's always there. It's always wagging its tail. It, it's going to, to be there for you no matter what. What are some other words that describe a dog? Loving. A, a dog is always loving. Coming up and licking you. Coming up and just, you've had a bad day. The dog seems to never have a bad day. It's always happy to see you no matter what. Dogs are amazing, aren't they? What else? Companionship. They want to be with you. Last week, I actually shared this in first service. Um, Ron and I switched off between the two weeks. And a veterinarian, Kim Sprayberry, shared with us that the dogs are the only species that will leave their own family to be with humans. There's no other species like that. What other things describe a dog that makes it such a, a good friend to have? Anything else? Paula. So they follow our instructions. You point to something and they'll, they'll run after it. Right? Well, today I have a goal for you. And it might sound a little crazy, but I hope that as we go through this, it'll, it'll become a little bit clearer for you. But my goal for you is that you will worship like your dog. Right? I hope that you will worship like your dog. Would you open your Bible with me again to Revelation chapter 14? We've been going through the first angel's message, and, and I didn't know if you know this, but Revelation 14 actually encourages you to worship like your dog. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 is where we find this angel that's flying in the midst of heaven, having an everlasting gospel to preach to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. It's a universal message. It's to go to absolutely everybody, and it is everlasting good news, which is not? Yeah, thank you. Okay, uh, you scared me there for a second. It's not good advice. It's good news. It's about what he has already accomplished. And we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, how the Sabbath reminds us that he has finished creation and he's also finished our salvation. And we are invited to rest every seventh day of the week in the finished reality of what he has done for us. Revelation 14, verse 7 goes, has the message saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. We're going to look here for a second at that word worship. Now if you were here at first service last week, you don't get to answer, but any idea where this word worship comes from? There's two Greek words, pros. And kuneo, pros means to or towards. 
and Cuneo. Does anybody have any idea where Cuneo comes from? You were at first service. You can't say anything. <laughs> it comes from the word for dog. To act like a dog. To, to, to behave like a dog towards its master. Some scholars say it's like, it's like a dog coming up to the hand of its master and, and licking the hand. Did you know that, that worship, to ascribe worth to God, to say, God, you are worthy. It's a little bit like how your dog is constantly seeing the good in you. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker before that says, I pray to God that I will become the man that my dog thinks that I am? If only I could be that person that my dog is, is confident that I am. If only. Well, today we want to look at what it means to worship like your dog, how your dog views you. Not that your dog has a capacity to worship God, but the way that your dog ascribes worth to you and to other human beings teaches us an incredibly valuable lesson about how we are to approach God. It would mean in Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, we encounter a story that's it's kind of tough. It's a story that when you read it, you wonder, why is this here? But in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has dealt with some difficult things with the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, he's, he's encountered them in Jerusalem, and they're, they're asking, so, so when you guys go to eat, why don't you wash your hands in the, like, like the elders have taught you to do? Why don't you go through all these rituals so that you're, you're clean when you go to eat? They had all these traditions and things in order to make sure that they would stay as pure as possible before God, ritually pure. And Jesus answers them that, hey, it's about what comes out of your heart. That's what defiles or keeps a person clean. And then he leaves Jerusalem. And he gets as far away, really, from Jerusalem as he can. He goes into the northern part of Israel. And then he goes outside of the boundaries of Israel. In verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Right? So Tyre and Sidon were this, the heathen area just to the north of Israel. These were some wicked people you find in different parts of the Bible. You can recognize the Sidonians, the, the, the people of Tyre, Tyre the, the Phoenicians. These were idol worshipers. They had mul- a multiplicity of gods. They were Gentiles. They, some Jews lived in that area, but you didn't want to come in contact with these people. Now, Jesus, when he went through Samaria, and he encountered the woman at the well. He was trying to expose his, his disciples to the fact that, that God is working in the lives even of Samaritans. But these people, they're further away than Samaritans in that they don't even have any concept of who Yahweh is, unlike the Samaritans did. Samaritans claimed to be worshiping Yahweh while they had their idols. The people, the Phoenicians, the Canaanites, they didn't really have that idea. So they're going to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And then it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. So what is she? She's a Canaanite. She's a a part of those people that that when the Israelites came, they were to drive them out of the land, that, that they dispossessed from the land. She's a Canaanite. She's an idolater. She's a heathen. She's one of those people. One of those people that you look at and say, that's why the world is the way it is, because there's these people around. If it wasn't for them, maybe the world would be a better place. But she comes and she cries out after him saying, have, 
saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. It's getting even worse. Not only is she worshiping these gods, not only is she a heathen, not only is she a Canaanite, but her own daughter, her own daughter has demonic possession. You might wonder, well, what was it? What did they let into their home? What did they have in their house? What was it that, that enabled this to happen? I mean, was it, maybe this woman was participating in devil worship. And then Jesus begins to do something that's difficult when we read this story. At least when we read it from our perspective. Or, or if you were an, an Israelite reading it, you might assume some things about what Jesus is doing here. It says, but he answered her not a word. He's silent. He doesn't respond to her pleas for help. Have you ever felt that way? I'm going through a difficult time, God. Can't you hear me? Don't you understand? God, you're this great, amazing, beautiful God, but where are you right now? Why aren't you listening? Why the silence? He answered her not a word. And his disciples came, and they they seized this moment, and they're like, hey, he's not answering, so... Maybe he recognizes that this woman, she should not be wasting our time. And so they urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It sounds like he's just saying, look, I'm not even here for you. Look, why are you crying out after me? It looks like he's saying what the disciples want him to say. (laughs) Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. We're talking about worship this morning. What does it mean to worship him who made? And she is worshipping him. What does that worship look like? She says, Lord, help me. And who is she asking for help for? For her daughter that's demon-possessed. She's saying, God, she's so identifying herself with this daughter of hers that she's saying, You've got to help me in that I'm desperately wanting help for my daughter. And in that moment, the gospel writer tells us she's worshiping. It looks like a a wall is being put up. I've only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she says, help me. And friends, it honors God. When in the midst of the difficult times, when it feels like God is silent, when it feels like you're not worthy to come to him, if you just cry out and say, God, I believe you are good. Help me. Help me. That ascribes worth to God. Verse 26, but he answered and said, it is not good to take the little children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What's going on here? What is Jesus doing? Have you ever read this story and thought, okay, so I thought Jesus I thought Jesus was this loving person who never rejected anybody, who was super kind. What is he doing here? Why is he saying these things? I'd like to, for you to go back with me to Isaiah chapter 56. And you know that reading the Old Testament helps us to get a little bit of understanding of what is going on when we read the New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 56, we read this fascinating passage that that Jesus quoted from multiple times. Isaiah chapter 56 starts this way. And I believe that this passage is, is crucial for us who are living on the cusp of Jesus coming back. 
because it, it tells us what things are really valuable, what things really matter, and it also gives us insight into what Jesus is really saying to this woman. Verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord. Now in your Bibles, is it capitalized? It says L-O-R-D. When, it, when it's capitalized like that, it means the personal name for God, Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, Keep justice, guard justice, watch out for justice, and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Now this is, this is a really beautiful thing here, because he says, what is about to come? My salvation is about to come. The, the, the word for salvation is, is encapsulated in the name... Joshua, Shua, is the, is the verb for salvation. Uh, whose salvation is appearing here? He says, my salvation. Who is the my? Who's speaking? The Lord, Yahweh, is speaking. The name Joshua means Yahweh saves. And, and, and Joshua, when transcribed to Greek, is Jesus. Did you get it? I don't see any smiles. I don't see any happiness out there. But do you see what it says? My salvation is about to come. Who is about to come? Jesus. Isaiah is saying, my salvation is about to come. Jesus is about to come. He will save. This is who God is. That's incredibly good news. But in the context of that, what are we called to do? What does Isaiah say for us to do? Keep justice and do righteousness. What is justice? What does justice look like? What's the opposite of justice? The opposite of justice would be injustice. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say that, you know, we've got to focus in on being ready for heaven and we don't have time to worry about what's going on in the lives of people around us. But that is totally contrary to anything that you'll find in the Bible. In fact, Jesus, when he's giving his final, his parables about the end times in, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, at the end of chapter 24, when he says, hey, it's like a king who, or, or, or like a, a master who gives to his servant to, to watch out for the other servants. He tells them to give their bread in due season. And it says, blessed is the man who his master finds so doing when he comes back. But the one who goes and disregards the needs of his fellows, and is just focused on something else, it's not going to turn out so well for him. And then he goes on to Matthew chapter 25, where he says that when you've done it to the least of these, this is what's going to matter in the judgment, how you have treated the least of these. So what is justice? Justice is what the Constitution of the United States, that I believe it's the preamble, right? That we are all created equal. This, this idea that, that between you and me, there's to be no no privileges, that, that you and I are to have equal footing in our, our society, that you and I are to be on equal ground. And, and Jesus takes this, and he, he founds, he says that this is really the foundation for all of the Old Testament. All of the writings and all of the prophets. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, he says, Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. This is what it's all about. It's to recognize the need that somebody else might have and to meet that need. 
Mount of Blessings, page 135, says it this way, talking about the Apostle Paul, how he says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. I'm, I'm in debt to the, to the Gentiles out there, to the barbarians out there, both to the wise and to the unwise, Romans 1.14, by all that you have known of the love of God. Have you gotten to experience the love of God in your life? By all that you have received of the rich gifts of his grace above the most benighted and degraded soul, that evil person over there. By every ounce of what you have received more than they have. Are you in debt to that soul to impart these gifts unto him? You see what we're called to, friends? We're called to see the people around us and and not to point fingers like in Alyssa's story and say, hey, they're smoking. Why are they doing that? But to realize, ah, I wonder if they know that smoking causes lung cancer. I wonder if I could become friends with them. I wonder if they they know how, how they could find hope in the midst of their addiction. I wonder if that person needs hope. Then it goes on to say this. So also with the gifts and blessings of this life, Whatever you may possess above your fellows places you in debt to that degree to all who are less favored. That's pretty heavy to think about, isn't it? Do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. When I see that person, they don't have the wealth that I have. If I see that person, they don't have the understanding, the education that I have. When I see somebody else who has less than I am, I have to look at that person and say, Oh, God calls me and I'm in debt to that person. This is what justice is all about. Have we wealth or even the comforts of life? Then we are under the most solemn obligation to care for the suffering sick, the widow, and the fatherless, exactly as we would desire them to care for us were our condition and theirs to be reversed. Mount of Blessings, page 136. This is our call as Christians. This is what it's all about. Knowing that Jesus is about to come, we need to do justice and righteousness. This week was Martin Luther King Jr. uh, Day. And Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Just because we have a, a lack of knowledge about something or just because we don't believe that somebody's really going through something doesn't give us the right to stand back and enjoy our life here. But we're called to listen. We're called to come close to people. We're called to find out is injustice really taking place and we're called to make a difference because Jesus is coming back. Because Jesus wants for us to prepare his way by making a difference in the lives around us. And then it goes on. Notice this, this is tied into the seventh-day Sabbath. Verse 2. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. There's so many people that feel like, oh, the Sabbath was for the Old Testament. It was for it. But clearly, this is talking about salvation is about to appear. People uh, reference verse 1 as being clearly an eschatological verse, talking about the Messiah coming and also that day of the Lord, that second coming of Jesus who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. And notice what it does with the Sabbath. And and if you think about it, just real fast, let's think about the Sabbath commandment. Who is included in the Sabbath commandment? If if I were faithful as a Jew to to keep the seventh-day Sabbath, who would that impact in my life? You remember the fourth commandment? It would impact your workers. 
Yeah, anybody that worked for you? Oh yeah, you guys get a day off. So you think about it. Anybody that's looking for employment in that time, they're like, ah, let's work for the let's work for the the Israelites because if they're faithful, we get a day off. How amazing is this? Who else would it impact? The stranger, the foreigner who's within your gates, anybody that comes anywhere near you, hey, hey, you can't work today. You know the crazy thing? If you travel to Israel and you come in contact with an Orthodox Jew on the Sabbath, some hotels will have, so when I was there, I noticed that, that they have two different uh, elevators. And they have the elevator for the Orthodox Jews on Sabbath. They go and they, they get into the elevator, and that elevator goes up to the next floor and it opens the door there. You don't push any buttons on the Sabbath. You can't push buttons on the Sabbath. So it opens at the first floor. Then it closes and goes to the second floor. It opens. Then it goes to the third floor. It opens. But other places... They'll wait until they find a Gentile like you and me, and they'll ask you, could you push the button for me? I've heard about some who will invite people to come over to their house and say, could you turn on the lights for me? You see, if we turn our religion into self-serving, we miss the picture of what the Sabbath is all about. It's about, it's about your, your, the one that works for you. It's about your son. It's about your daughter. It's about making the lives around you better, but not just the people. Who else is included? The animals, your ox, your donkey, your cattle. If you're a cow living in the ancient Near East, you'd be like, I hope that I could be owned by an Israelite because I get a day off. It was about equalizing things about making things just, about giving everybody a day off. The Sabbath is the great equalizer. On that day, there's nobody is boss and nobody is the servant. On that day, everybody is equal before God. And this is a little taste of what eternity is all about. And if you're not comfortable with that, then I just want to invite you to keep going back to Jesus and say, what's wrong with my heart? What am I missing? Because this is what it's all about to do justice, to grab a hold of the Sabbath, to appreciate the beauty of the Sabbath. Now, now look at how it ties into exactly the story where we find this Canaanite woman who, who the disciples want for Jesus to send away. Verse 3, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Now, why would a foreigner say that except for that this was what had been taught by Israel. This is what Israel had begun to, 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 to teach that nobody else had a right to be a part. Now, it's pretty fascinating because if you, you look at Paul, in fact, let's, let's, let's just go really fast to Romans chapter 10. Paul is the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He's sent out to the Gentiles, and then again and again you read in Acts how he is just facing difficulties with the Jews. They're like, hey, why are you doing that for the Gentiles? Why are you preaching that they can join us? And, and why are you you're destroying the law of Moses? And so Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, he points out what Isaiah does and how bold Isaiah is. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 20, he says, but Isaiah is very bold. <laughs> he says something audacious. He says something that's out of the norm. He says something that, that people weren't comfortable with. He says something that... that, that Pushed the boundaries of what Jews thought was okay, what Israelites thought was okay. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I made 
manifest. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. <laughs> and it goes on. He's quoting from Isaiah 65, but Isaiah 65 goes on to say, by a nation that was not called by my name, by, by these rebels, I chased them down in my love and I had kept pursuing them and I pulled them in too. So going back to Isaiah chapter 56, Isaiah is saying, don't let anybody say the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Isaiah has this idea that God is inclusive. In fact, scholars trace back the idea of gospel and the wording for gospel. Isaiah is really known as the gospel prophet of the Old Testament. How many of you have gotten a chance to, to study out the Sabbath school lesson and all of this, this, this quarter? It's on the book of Isaiah. If you get a chance to dive into the book of Isaiah, whether it's through the Sabbath school quarterly or just reading it yourself, you find that again and again from Isaiah chapter 6 and on, he's saying the whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. All the Gentiles are going to come. There's going to be a light that rises and the Gentiles are going to come in. And this had to be repeated so much because the Jews forgot it again and again and again. And I'm afraid it's all too easy for me to forget that God is inclusive, that his arms are open wide to bring everybody in. He goes on to say, nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. I've got no future, I've got no hope. For thus says the Lord, look at this, it ties it in again to the Sabbath and then it brings something else out that's crucial. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. They, they, they hang on to my covenant. Now, what was the covenant? The covenant, the new covenant was given, it's really the everlasting covenant. It was given to Abraham. I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing to all nations. All along, that's, that's how Israel was started. God said, I'm going to pour out blessings on this little family, and it's going to become a great nation. And my purpose in that is that you might be a light to the world. And it's the same for Christianity today. God doesn't call us to build up walls to keep out the evil world, but he calls us to be so transformed that we shine brightly to the world around us and that it's transformed by seeing who Jesus is transforming us to be. Now it's fascinating because notice the parallel here. It says, to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, and then it says, who holds fast to my covenant. Do you see the connection there? Clearly, there's a connection between Sabbath and the covenant. And, and this becomes more and more clear as you go to Acts and you find that the Gentiles are, are worshiping on the Sabbath. This new covenant experience includes the Sabbath. Do you see that parallel? The eunuch grabs a hold of the Sabbath and of the covenant. The new covenant is about everybody being included. The new covenant includes the seventh-day Sabbath because the gospel is wrapped up in the seventh-day Sabbath most clearly in the law of God. Then it goes on to say, Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You may feel like you have no hope, you have no future. Like, like a eunuch who is unable to reproduce. But I'm going to give you something even better. Better than a name of a son and daughter, I'm going to give you a place, a place to be with me. Then verse 6, also the sons of the foreigner 
who join themselves to, to the Lord, to serve him, and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Do you see this? This is the foreigner. This is the Gentile. And they're the ones who are hanging on to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not for the Jews. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for mankind. It's made for absolutely everybody as the great equalizer to show us that the work is finished in Christ. He's our creator and he's our, our redeemer and he has accomplished everything for us on the cross. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Who says, no, 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 this is who God is. He's inclusive. He wants everybody in. I'm hanging on to that reality rather than what is being taught maybe even within religion. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You remember when Jesus quoted this? When he goes into the temple and, and, and he, he overturns the tables of the, the sellers and he drives those who are selling the, the sacrificial animals, he drives them out of the temple and he's like, stop making it a den of thieves. Stop keeping people from coming to me. Stop making it difficult for people to know who I am. Have you ever thought about the only times Jesus gets angry in the Bible? I'll tell you, you'll never read where Jesus gets upset because of the bad things that people are doing as far as what we might look at as the outbreaking sins or the egregious uh, fornication type sins or the tax collectors you know what he gets upset about the people that are excluding others from getting to him yes he speaks out against what the people need repentance they need to turn away from sin he says you know even if you lust in your heart and he, he, he reveals that we need a heart conversion but what makes him upset is when the pharisees are excluding people from god when the disciples are keeping the kids back from coming to him. When, when he goes into the synagogue and, and there's a man with a withered hand and, and they're watching him to see if he'll heal on the Sabbath. And he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he heals that hand. What Jesus gets upset about is those of us who might exclude others from coming to Jesus. So my prayer is that would never be me. That, that God would help me to have his heart, his heart that is open to receive everyone and, and willing to transform every single heart who will only come to him. Then it goes on to say, verse 8, this is beautiful, don't, get, don't miss this. You might think about that loved one, that person that feels like they're too far away from him. God is the one who gathers. God's the one who pulls them in. God is the one who never gives up on chasing us in love. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yes, I will gather to him. Others besides those who are gathered to him. I'm the one that gathers. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to bring everybody possible to be a part of my banqueting table. If anybody's willing, let him come and drink freely of the water of life. And now, this is, this is where it ties back in a little bit more clearly. We've seen already the idea of the foreigner, just like 
the uh, Canaanite woman was a foreigner. But, but notice what it goes on to say here. Now it speaks out against Israel's irresponsible leaders, those who have been unfaithful in doing what God has called them to do, what the covenant was all about and being a blessing to others. Verse 9, all you beasts of the field come to devour, all you beasts in the forest. This is representative of, of the kingdoms that God allows to come in and to ransack the nation of Israel because they have been unfaithful to what God has called them to. But notice what he says they've been unfaithful to. His watchmen are blind. You heard that we need to be watchmen on the walls? He says, you're blind. How so? What is it that blinds them? What is it that they're not being watchful about? They're not keeping justice. They're not watching out for the oppressed. Look at what it goes on to say. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. Okay, so this is how not to be a dog. You don't want to be a dog that does not bark. You don't want to be that dog that is not the faithful watchdog. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping and lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. These aren't, these aren't like the dogs that you read about that are heroes. Have you read about some dog rescues? I wanted to read to you about a few dog rescues this morning. So there's a little boy named Angel, and he was outside of his house, and a cougar came up to his house. He's 11 years old. And the cougar suddenly charged at the boy out of nowhere. His, lab, his golden retriever, an 18-month-old golden retriever, came out and began to fight that cougar that was way bigger than he was and kept fighting that cougar until the family was able to call 911 and get a policeman to come out there. The, the golden retriever was severely injured from this fight, but he would not give up because he wanted to save that child. There's... The story of Jason Breeding, who as he watched his home going up in flames, counted his family to see who was missing and realized that his infant child was still inside the house. And right as he made that realization, he looked at the burning building and out of the house came his, the family dog carrying the, his infant daughter, dragging her out of the building. Uh, there's Debbie Parker, Parkhurst who began choking on an apple. And as she was choking on that apple, her, what kind of dog was it here? Her golden retriever pounced on her chest so hard that it made her spit the apple back out and she stopped choking on the apple. There's another, uh, Stacy Pitts. Uh, She was frustrated with her family dog because she kept falling asleep and her her dog kept coming up and waking her back up, waking her back up until Stacy eventually realized that something was terribly wrong. There was carbon monoxide in the house. And they would have all died from falling asleep if it wasn't for her dog coming to rescue them. There's the, there's the dog, a beagle, who uh, is a therapy dog who would lick its owner's nose in order to tell what level its sugars were at. And the dog found that its, its owner's sugar levels were too high. And so it began to bite 911 on the phone. It actually called 911 on the phone and people came to rescue them. There's a dog that saved a baby from a rattlesnake. There's a blind dog that rescues a drowning girl. The stories go on and on about dogs that are meant to rescue, to help, to save. And here it's saying, hey, look, these are, are dumb dogs. They're blind dogs. The dogs are not doing what they're called to do. Because dogs are meant to rescue. And you and I, part of our worship, Part of our ascribing worth to God is to look at the people around us and say, 
yeah, I know that person looks from all appearances, from the everything that I see on the outside, they look way gone. They look like they're totally lost, like there's no hope. But I'm called to rescue them, to try to pull them out of that burning building. I'm called to do everything possible to help. And then it goes on to say this. Yes, they are greedy dogs. They're, they're focused on their own, which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain from his own territory. Do you remember what Jesus said to that woman that seemed like, oh, he's saying, I don't have time for you. He said, I've only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who were the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Everybody, all right? So, so we look at this and we think, oh, he means that, that his mission is just for the Jews. No. In reality, he's recognizing the fact that Israel's lost sheep were the Gentiles that they hated and despised. In reality, that is who they were supposed to be helping all along. From Desire of Ages, page 400, it says, Although the answer that it's, I've only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, although the answer appeared to be in accordance with the prejudice of the Jews, it was an implied rebuke to the disciples, which they afterward understood as reminding them of what he had often told them that he had come to save all who would accept him. And page 402, it says, he stated the truth that he had not come just for the house of Israel, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in his work for the Canaanite woman, he was fulfilling his commission. This woman was one of the lost sheep that Israel should have rescued. It was their appointed work, the work which they had neglected, that Christ was doing. You see, so it sounded like he was saying to them, oh, like he was telling her, no, 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 I don't have time for you. But in reality, he's rebuking the disciples and saying, no, 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 this is exactly what I came for. I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I came for everybody. My arms are open wide. And then he goes on to say to her, well, you don't give the, the bread except for to the little dogs, right? Well, it reminds me of, of when uh, my grandma was still alive. She had these two little tiny teacup poodles. Have you ever uh, fed your, your dog from the table? What, what, what makes a dog come to the table to beg? Why, why does a dog... So, so in the mornings, we would get up and we would make our breakfast. And, and little Bonnie Bell and Tinker Bell, what they loved more than anything else, these tiny little teacup poodles, what they loved more than anything else was toast. You could be eating cereal or other things and they would be going about the house smelling everything they could find. But you, you put a piece of toast in the toaster and instantly, Tinkerbell, she had this way that she would like dance around like this on her back legs. She would do circles like this. She's just the cutest little thing. You're like, okay, 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 here's a piece of toast. And then Bonnie Bell, she was not good at doing the whole prancing thing around in a circle like this. So she would come up to you and she would just hit you constantly. She'd be jumping up and down and hitting you, poking your leg, poking your leg, poking your leg until finally like, okay, 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 okay. Here's a piece of bread. 
And Jesus tells this woman, well, 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 it's not good to take all the bread and throw it to the dogs. But what did that woman say? Go back to Matthew chapter 15. And while you're going there to, to Matthew chapter 15, Isaiah chapter 56, the next verse goes on to say, Come one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as abundant as, as today and much more abundant. You see this picture of self-satisfaction and you see this picture of people drinking in the midst of the suffering of people around them. And this is a little glimmer of what we get in Revelation chapter 14 when we find the wine of Babylon is being given and you find that, that, that people are drinking in this false doctrine, this doctrine that leads them to an exclusiveness rather than to an inclusiveness as is found always in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, uh, sorry, Mar- Matthew chapter 15. Let's pick the story back up. But he answered and said to them, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the, what does it say next in your version? To the little dogs? He uses the word here not just for dog, but he uses the word here for puppy. Don't, don't throw all the bread to the puppies. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Even, even the dogs recognize how good their master is that they just know if they beg long enough, if they, if they whine enough, if they do enough prances in a circle, that, that then their master will throw them at least a little bit of a, the crumbs. And you know, it might have helped that this woman was a Gentile because archaeologists have done studies and they found that, that the Phoenician areas actually had a greater affinity for keeping pets. They found collars earlier on than they found in Israel. They found other... There's the city of Ashkelon. Actually, it's fascinating. They found a dog cemetery there with some 700 dogs that were buried. And they don't know exactly why, except for they assume that they had this incredible value for dogs. <laughs> and so while the disciples are like, yeah, you tell her, Jesus, she's just a dog. Maybe in that moment she's realizing, oh, yeah, just like my puppy at home. Because she actually had a greater affinity for animals, maybe, than the Jews did. We can learn some things from those outcasts, from those people that we think don't know anything. Sometimes we can grasp a little bit about God from those who we think know nothing at all. Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, in case you missed the significance of this, Jesus only tells two people that their faith is great. Two people. One was a Roman centurion who had been giving gifts to God's people. And there's a little bit maybe more reason that we might understand. He tells him that that he has great faith because he says, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. Uh, Just say the word and I know that my servant will be healed. And, and, And notice that the centurion was worried about his servant. He was concerned. He wasn't asking for himself. He was asking for his servant. And then you have a heathen, idolatrous woman who knows as far as we know, nothing about Yahweh who comes to Jesus and, and has somehow heard that Jesus turns nobody away. And she's like a little dog, 
begging at the table, saying, God, I know that you're good. I know that you've got to do something else. Desire of Ages says that she had prayed to her other gods, and they had not answered. But she'd heard about this healer named Jesus, and she wasn't about to let the opportunity go. Friends, we are called to ascribe worth to who God is. A God whose arms are open wide. A God who says, I will. I will help you. I will be there. A God who invites everybody in. A God who wants everybody to come to the table. So my heart appeal for you today is will you worship God with the same persistence, the same determination that your dog has towards you? When, when you come home and, and you've been ignoring the dog all day, the dog that doesn't, doesn't give you any hard time for that but has its tail wagging and runs straight to you. You know, David Asherick said it this way. It's scientifically proven that, that dogs are given to show us what converted human beings look like and cats are given to us to show what unconverted human beings look like. A cat will hold it against you if you come home and you haven't, you've neglected it. Not a dog. Well, or, or what if you, have you ever accidentally stepped on your dog? You, you're walking along and you don't notice and you accidentally step on their tail, you step on their leg, you, you bump into them and they, they yelp. And then what's the next thing they do? They come running up to you again with their, their tail wagging. All they can think about is, I just want to be close to you. I just want to be with you. I love you. I don't know where dogs get it from. But I know that God wants to stir that same love towards him and us. That he wants us to see him a little bit like your dog sees you. And as we see how good he is, it's going to stir faith great faith in the people around us because they'll recognize that this God is worthy of worship. Last week, I love it when my, my little girls, they just turned two last week, or, or actually last Sunday, but the week before, I love it when they begin to talk about when Jesus is coming back. And, and they were telling me, Jesus, come. Up. Go up, Jesus. Up. Up. Up with Jesus. Said, yeah, that's great. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to go up with Jesus. And what's going to happen when you go up with Jesus? And we were talking about what heaven might be like. And as we're talking about what heaven might be like, I said, you know what? They'll probably, I think they might have asked about lions and tigers because they, they love big cats. And I said, yeah, there'll be lions there. And you know what? Lions won't have to be inside a cage. They won't have to, you won't have to stay away from them. In fact, I bet that you might be able to ride a lion in heaven. And Livy was like, yeah, ride lion. Abby said, no ride lion, no ride lion. Well, the next day, they were talking about going up with Jesus. And, and Abby said, no ride lion. And Livy said, ride lion. The next day, Abby had convinced Livy. Because on that day when I, we talked about Jesus and him taking us up to heaven, Abby said, no ride lion. And Livy said, no ride lion. <laughs> she doesn't want to ride lions anymore. In fact, just... Yesterday, she was telling me, no ride lion, no ride lion. I've been having to promise them, don't worry. If you don't want to ride a lion, I don't think Jesus is going to make you ride a lion. I don't even know if we can. That's not what's important about heaven. But after Livy said that for the first time, she said, no ride lion. Then she said, Jesus, hold you. Jesus, hold you. 
I said, yeah, yeah. That's what heaven's all about. Jesus will hold you. And it's going to be the best reality that you've ever experienced to have Jesus' arms wrapped around you. Friends, what we need to have is a heart that just wants to be held by Jesus and that just wants everybody else possible to be there. A heart like our dog that just wants to be with the one that we love just wants to be with Jesus. That's what will wake you up in the morning and get you excited to open your Bible and say, I want to spend time with Jesus because he's so incredible. I know that he's, he's got good things in store for me. Great faith is based in a recognition of the incredible worth, the incredible goodness, the incredible mercy, and even the inclusiveness of this incredible God of love that we serve. Father, I pray you would overwhelm us with your love. That you would give us a stronger confidence in that covenant-keeping love that will break down every wall, that will do everything possible to take away every lie, so that we can see Jesus clearly, so that we can be drawn to you. Oh Lord, give us that one desire to be held by you, to come close to you. Lord, give us the type of affection towards you that our dogs have towards us. That's unending, that, that's constant, that, that always wags its tail. Lord, give us an excitement about you that's fresh. And Lord, may that be contagious to the people around us. May we be agents of justice that help people to know that it's good to know God. And it's not only good for me, but it makes their life better. The fact that I keep the Sabbath, that I follow you. Father, I need a heart change in order for this to be a reality. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would filter absolutely everything that we believe, everything that we hear in the world around us through the one reality that is revealed so clearly in Scripture that God is love. Lord, may this be the reality that we represent to the world that is dying in need around us. Give us arms that are open wide with inclusiveness. Give us a willingness to chase people down in love. Lord, thank you that you're coming soon and that you've called us to do justice, to guard it, to watch out for it. May we be like our dogs in our affection for you and our affection for you and the least of these around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.